Hello again, Wood Chatters, and welcome to the latest episode in this Forest and Wood Products Australia podcast series. I'm Georgia. And I'm Sam. And today we're going to be taking a deep dive into the evolution of the National Centre for Timber Durability and Design Life, an important FWPA-supported research initiative and partnership between industry, academia and government. The centre was established back in 2017, and since then, from its base at the University of the Sunshine Coast, has worked to place Australia at the forefront of international best practice and underpin customer confidence in the performance of timber products. If this all sounds a bit familiar, that's probably because this isn't the first Woodchat episode to focus on the operations of the centre. So before we press play on this episode, let's hit the rewind button by four years. Way back in 2018, we sat down with Professor Jeff Morrell to talk about his recent appointment as director of the newly established centre and what he hoped it would achieve for the industry. You can hear more about those early days of this initiative by scrolling back to episode three in the Woodchat feed and checking out the full interview with Jeff recorded at that time. And fast forward again by four years, 2022 saw a midterm review of the centre conducted by FWPA board members, which resulted in the extension of its activities for a further five years and with the potential for three more. The review found the centre has made great inroads in working with industry to ensure Australia has access to the world's leading research and best practice while building strong links between industry, academia and customers. That's right. The review panel concluded that the centre had successfully completed its establishment phase through the development of a coherent research programme, employment of staff and initiation of significant activities. And so, once again, Sam sat down with Professor Morrell to touch base on the team's progress and discuss the centre's ongoing evolution. Since we last spoke for the Woodchat episode four years ago, how have things at the centre been progressing? Well, it's hard to believe it's been four years because it's kind of... I think where we came from, you know, when you start something new, there's a lot of growth in trying to figure out what people are doing. And I think the first couple of years were really about working with the partners to see what they brought to the table and and how they could interact. And I think we, we worked pretty hard at that. And I think we've come really far in terms of identifying the strengths of each partner. And we've sort of carved out our niches and figured out how to cross collaborate. The other part was engaging students and, and postgraduates and starting to educate the next group of people in this field. And I think on that, we've been outstandingly successful. We have 11 HDR students in progress between University of Queensland and USC. Uh, our first PhD student will submit his thesis tomorrow. I mean, it's been a kind of an ongoing issue for quite a few years now, hasn't it? The declining research capacity in this space in Australia. Whereabouts are we now on that journey, would you say? There has been a resurgence in timber interest in the country, and I think that's probably the most exciting part of what's happening. And it it has a lot to do with strategic funding across the country. And so if you look at uh, UTAS and UniSA, 
they both have NIFP funding, and that's allowed them to engage students. You know, yeah. we have FWPA funding, that's allowed us to engage students. And so I think we're we're slowly filling the bucket back up, but it's going to be early career bucket. And so it'll take a while to get those more senior scientists or, or kind of even middle level scientists uh, engaged in, in timber. But I think we've started the process. Yeah. So it's definitely it's building a solid foundation there for the yeah. future. Um, and that added interest in timber that you just mentioned before, what would you put that down to? Do you think that's more that people and industry and the sort of general community have a, more of an emphasis on sustainability. Do you think there's an improvement in the understanding of, of timber as a sustainable product? I think it's helped. I think it's created a little bit of buzz in some of the communities. I don't know that that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. I think the cycle has come around again. And I, I believe that um, you know industry and government have finally realized that they've under supported the, the segment. And so now they're looking at it and saying, okay, we have to fix this problem. And I, I always find it interesting that that this region is the number two timber user per capita in the world. And so I think people are now recognizing, well, this is important. The mass timber movement, I think, has helped that a lot. But I think people start recognizing they've sort of not paid attention to this area and, and they need to. I, I just wondered about the other two audiences, I suppose, in terms of industry and timber customers. And um, I just kind of wanted to see how that side of things might be progressing. And that's part of what the next cycle is going to be about is engaging better with industry, uh, making sure that we outline to them what we're doing and why it's valuable to them, I think are probably critical right now. You know, we started off getting out to industry and talking to them and, and engaging them just by visiting, which I think is helpful. The first, you know, the first time you want to engage somebody, you should go there. COVID sort of interceded in that in that movement. Yeah. And we're just getting back now to to where we wanted to be. But we've also tried to engage timber producers and, and somewhat the users with workshops. And so uh, last week, we actually hosted a statistical process control workshop for a mixture of composite and solid timber producers up at USC. Um, and those kind of things help. I mean, and that's sort of middle level timber processors. But the idea is we engage them, we start to identify some of the problems we're having. So I think the other part of the engagement is going to become important will be that we, as part of the renewal from FWPA, will be establishing uh, an advisory committee, which will consist of uh, solid timber and composite producers, plus chemical suppliers and, and sort of the general user market to kind of gauge their sense of what we're doing, but more just to make sure we're in the right direction and to help help make sure we stay kind of true to what we say we're going to do, that we right. do things that yep. really have no relevancy. And so with those events and, and workshops that are, are hosted for industry, do they serve a kind of a double purpose? So I suppose on one hand, would it be sharing information from research that has kind of been ongoing that would be useful for industry? And then on the other side of it, you get insights into what the industry's sort of main issues and concerns might be that future research could look to address. I think it's both of that. And it's also a little bit of waving the flag and showing people that we exist. And, I, you know, it's really easy to get lost. We're a big country. Everybody's got their own agenda for things they need to solve. And getting a group away to kind of see what their issues are is, is important. So those are those are helpful. I need the other part of that is I, we need to start getting out again into the, into the, the actual field and, and visit locations. A lot of what we have done 
came about because we were out someplace. For example, we we're doing this large assessment of the software resource for its treatability. And the reason we came upon that was because we did a workshop in Mount Gambia. It turned out to be a great place to collaborate. And we would never have found that out if we hadn't been there. Um, are there any uh, upcoming projects that you're particularly excited about? It's not something we talked about when we first started the center, but it sort of emerged as a big issue is the circular economy. The whole idea is that we have all this material, treated timber and, and composite material that is being used now, but enters the waste stream. And it becomes much more difficult to dispose of because people look at the chemicals and they just immediately say, oh, that's CCA, it's got to go to a hazardous waste site. And it becomes very costly. And we've been working with a consortium to sort of explore the, the volumes of material, the risks that are out there, the regulatory aspects across the country to sort of come up with strategies for how to reuse these materials so they're not winding up in the landfill and we can either gain value or not have cost from them. We have about 10 industry cooperators involved with this, including uh, one of the other peak bodies, Wine Australia. We are now progressing this through FWPA. It will be a project where the, the FWPA will match the other industry funding. It's actually driven by the users. The wine people came to us, who's keenly involved in this because of vineyard posts. They dispose of about a million vineyard posts a year, and it's a real problem. They're faced with this pressure from their growers who are saying, okay, how do I deal with these posts? What do I do with them? As mentioned by Jeff, as part of the center's work, the team has orchestrated a range of stakeholder meetings around the country to discuss its operations, objectives, and projects, as well as to answer questions and identify pressing research priorities. These consultations have guided the initiation of more than 20 exciting research projects. Research overseen by the centre to date has focused on everything from treated wood quality to fire impact timber field performance, termite biology, moisture behaviour, coatings performance, and much, much more. One specific project that Jeff suggested we delve a bit further into is a partnership between the Centre and the University of Queensland with fire science expert Dr Felix Weisner at the helm. Georgia sat down with Dr Weisner to discuss how he has used his skills to develop insights around smouldering and timber durability in bushfire prone areas. One of the things you obviously need to consider when working with timber is that it's combustible and fires do happen and they affect timber in a different way than they affect steel or concrete. And my role within the durability center is to address issues that arise for the design life of timber from exposure to fire. So for example, one project we looked at is the use of what we call bushfire resistant timber. So that means you can use them in certain bushfire attack level regions for construction. These sort of timbers delay ignition. And even if they ignite the heat release rate, but not considered enough to spread a fire along a building. So therefore you're allowed to use them. The list of these bushfire resisting timbers is quite limited. So we looked into different timber species from far north Queensland. We looked at different densities. We looked at extractives, different species. And we tried to find out what makes a species bushfire resistant. And what are the outcomes of that project? What sorts of insights did you gather? 
first you look at the standard that's required to be passed to, to classify a wood species as uh, bushfire resisting. And then we subjected different species to the test requirements to try and meet that standard. And we found out that of all the species we tested, none of them actually passed that standard. Although there was one species, the Cooktown Ironwood, even though that one didn't pass the specific test requirement, it took up to 20 minutes to actually ignite. And if you actually look in, the, in one of the codes, it says you can finish the test after 10 minutes. So the next step for us would be to recommend that species to be included in the list. Presumably that has all sorts of potential benefits for the Australian forestry industry, like providing confidence about compliance and safety to people working with timber in bushfire-prone areas? Exactly, yes. Um, I mean, there's still a limit. So, for example, if you have a very severe bushfire, any sort of timber will be damaged and will contribute to the fire. Effect. And luckily in Australia, we have codes and standards and experience in trying to predict the exposure. Um, but coming back to your question in terms of the, the need for this research and the outcome, is yes, you're right, that the idea is to give people more confidence and also to help those timber species to basically increase their value. But at the moment, because the existing list of bushfire-resistant timber species is very limited, those species are in high demand. And by providing alternative species that can be used, we can spread the load of demand a bit and we can help local economies, for example, in northern Australia to increase the value of their wood products because suddenly they can be used in areas where they couldn't be used before. And did I see that you've also done some work around the impact of certain wood treatments on fire durability? Yes, so we, we have a, another project um, that looks at the, the fire performance of durability-treated timber. Basically in Australia, if you look in our cities and, and also in, in rural landscapes, a lot of our utility poles consist of durability-treated timber. Um, usually what we use is copper chrome arsenic, CCA, Basically, the copper and the arsenic provide resistance against uh, fungi and insect attack, and the, the chrome binds the, the chemical to the timber. What CCA does is it extends the lifetime of timber in the field. So if you can reduce the time span where you have to replace these pieces of infrastructure, um, you're saving resources. What happens with uh, CCA to the timber is that um, if a fire passes through, it can be a relatively small fire. The timber will burn and char a bit, um, but it will not be damaged to the extent that it, that it collapses or fails or is not usable anymore. But then after the fire, we have the smoldering phase, and that will keep deteriorating the timber until it fails and turns to ash. And CCA really limits the threshold for when smoldering will occur. So we found out the higher the density, the less likely it is that you get smoldering. We also looked at how fast does the smoldering progress. The next step for us will be to look at the concentration, to look at different treatments, um, possibly different timber species. Are different timber species less or more likely to, to lead to smoldering? In most standard woods, adding CCA will increase the likelihood of smoldering. When it comes to the outcomes of your work around smoldering, how will those insights gathered be used for the benefit of the forestry industry? One of the bigger outcomes from this project, in my opinion, is the actual test methodology we have developed. If someone from industry comes and says, we have a new formulation of durability-treated timber, 
Um, we know it works for durability, but we would like to test the effect of potential smoldering after bushfire. We have basically provided a template that can be used to assess smoldering for a certain chemical or a certain timber chemical combination. So we um, we provide knowledge, we provide testing methodologies, and ultimately the idea is to then use all these aspects to inform both the manufacturer of chemicals, the, the timber producers, and the end user. Okay, what can we do to minimize the risk of smoldering? During our chat, Felix also acknowledged Mr. Wenshin Wu, the PhD student leading the work on CCA-treated timber, for his contribution. Another project Jeff suggested we learn a bit more about was part of a research collaboration between the Centre and the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries involving field trials that will help improve service life prediction models for various timber materials used for outdoor applications. I spoke to research scientists Dr. Mariam Sherma Hamadi and Leslie Francis at the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries to find out more. When this collaborative arrangement was initially set up, what were the research priorities that you were looking to address? In a nutshell, we're characterising timber durability performance, providing data for durability modelling and working on service life prediction optimisation. The, the research conducted aims to provide more reliable durability performance prediction for timber building products. This extensive timber durability field testing work that we've been hearing about out of the centre, I wondered if you might be able just to give me a little bit of an overview as to what that project is all about. So we've got field tests established throughout the country to look at timber that's exposed to the weather in service. Some examples of the type of field tests We've got our joinery and decking. But as part of the durability centre, we were able to set up a really cool new large-scale field trial. And so we've set out about 8,000 timber specimens and we'll be able to monitor their performance over time. This field trial has designed around looking at extreme and high decay hazard service classes. We're looking at tropical and subtropical environments, which are very important for our Australian product and Australian climate. And that, that all of that data will, will be uh, useful for future model development. What sorts of issues or problems was the research project designed to help address or overcome? Timber is a, a, a biological product. It's got outstanding unmatched environmental credentials, but as a biological product, it is subject to decay and insect attack if exposed to conditions conducive to that. Because moisture is the biggest risk factor in causing timber decay, we are also investigating properties of Australian timber species exposed to moisture conditions, especially during and post-construction. We are interested in the differences between the species as well as engineered wood products. So the, the trial includes a whole range of different products as well as range of products using different treatments. But some of the specifications are inclusion of modified wood, treated wood, engineered wood products, as well as the more traditional solid wood products that we have already included in the 
field trials. So it's a very good addition to our existing trials, answering some of those questions that new products and new treatments might create. Is that to then be able to give the end user more confidence in how those materials can be used? Absolutely. And the bigger picture of the, the trials and the data that we are collecting is to actually provide enough information or reliable information that builds confidence to use timber in building industry and give, give the industry and also the end user the required information to make the choice of using timber. From a practical perspective, what has the work looked like so far? So we've, we've got um, above ground and in ground tests. The tests are generally accelerated. The decay moves faster in the field test than it would in a protected deck or joinery or most timber in structures. But it gives us a a realistic pattern of the way decay would progress. Fascinating stuff. It's clear the centre has already led some vital research projects and provided significant value to the Australian forest and wood products industry. Not to mention starting the vital process of rebuilding Australia's capacity in timber research. Absolutely. And with so much great stuff achieved in its first few years, it will be fascinating to see what the next cycle of the centre's life brings. It's definitely going to be one to watch. Well, that's just about it for another episode of Wood Chat. We hope you'll join us again next time.